Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research and broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Cornerstone Financial Consultants are not affiliated. Welcome to the Journey Mindset Podcast. My name is Sean Ulrich and I'm a financial advisor at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri. And unfortunately, I am not joined today, as always, by my co-host Ron Shear. And uh, our usual co-host Ron is a former advisor with a wealth of knowledge on all things investing. So we are uh, going to miss him today, Ron. Man, hope you're doing well and uh, look forward to getting you back soon. Uh, roll you through what actually I'm doing to enjoy my journey this week. So, man, I've had a, a Camry for a while now that I've been meaning to trade in, and I'm uh, looking at some new trucks and looking to make that change. So, uh, I know Ron would be all over just talking about cars on this show, but hopefully, we'll have a, a new one here in the uh, near future. I know that the car market is in a, a pretty tough place right now with the chip shortages. So, we're going to do our best this week to uh, carry the load without Ron. Uh, and, and see if we can't learn some stuff about cryptocurrency. So again, our topic for this week, it's a hot one. It's one that we get asked about a ton of the time. And, uh, you know, people are just super eager to talk about it. I mean, I'll go out amongst friends. Uh, it's usually when I uh, mention in, that I work in investing, somebody will bring up, well, what do you think about crypto? What do you think about, you know, a lot of the uh, trading that's gone on with it recently? And it's a, a tough area to try to navigate, but we're going to try to be as educational as we can. Uh, on this Journey Mindset podcast show. So, I mean, there's a reason that it's a hot topic and it's a super volatile, uh, you know, asset. And a lot of it just comes from pure curiosity as to what it's going to lead to in the future. And the, the cool thing about it is that the technology that's really driving it is what's getting people the most excited. And I do think that there's more questions and answers uh, that remain at this point in time. So one of the first things that we can talk about, you know, is what comes to our minds when we think of cryptocurrencies. And I'm not somebody that was, uh, you know, overly into this specific category before I got into the investing industry. So a lot of this is new to me. So I don't really have, I'm kind of a blank slate uh, when it comes to cryptocurrencies. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, you know, I'm lucky enough to be a member at a place here in St. Louis called the Missouri Athletic Club. And I listened to a guy give a presentation on it where he did just a great job kind of comparing and contrasting. He used like a Star Wars analogy as like the evil empire is, you know, and that, that could be a good way or a bad way to do it is what we've historically seen has been people that have controlled the money supply. And when you think about the Jedis that are coming along and wanting to chart a new path, that's kind of how he was painting the picture of people that are attempting to get cryptocurrency as, as something that's coming, you know, way more into the mainstream and, and, you know, kind of a good versus evil. And I think that if you're going to get behind any sort of a movement or you're going to try to gain momentum in any category, you know, in life, you want to have some hope and some optimism behind it. And I think that's what a lot of, of these cryptocurrencies are trading off of right now. Uh, but it's still definitely worth learning a lot about. And it's probably going to continue to be a huge part 
uh, of the future going forward. So the challenge right now is that big government, I mean, they've been paying attention for a long time, but now they're really starting to pay a heck of a lot more attention. And I was going back and I was listening to uh, our current Fed chairman, which is an incredibly important role when it comes to the markets. You know, he is the guy that is usually going to set the tone with his decisions and, and the people around him for what's going to happen in the market short term as far as interest rates are concerned. So this is what Powell had to say about cryptocurrencies. His quote is that we are committed at the Federal Reserve to hearing a wide range of voices on this important issue before making any decision on whether and how to move forward. What a what a politician Uh, with the US CBDC, which stands for central bank digital currency, taking into account the broader risks and opportunities that it could offer. And he went on to say that he believes that it should be a complement and not a replacement for cash. And his last quote was that there are major privacy concerns when it comes to this type of a currency. So, man, my initial take when I saw him say that was obviously it's a very political answer to uh, to give to a, a broad question like what's going to happen with cryptocurrencies in the near future. He seems to just be keeping his options open. You know, he's essentially saying that we acknowledge, you know, how much traction this has gained as of recent and especially within the broader financial community. And as of right now, it seems like they're just trying to do the best they can to figure it out moving forward, like a lot of individual investors. So before we get into any more explanations or just kind of hot takes on cryptocurrencies in general, it's super important to highlight the risks uh, and just the warnings that are associated with this specific asset class. And our compliance has been kind enough to to issue seven of those. So we're going to roll through those before we hop into the two main cryptocurrencies that we're going to talk about today. So the first uh, just risk or warning that you need to be aware of before you really consider investing in cryptocurrency is that there's market risks. And to dive into that a little bit further, that just means that it's currently you know trading a lot based off of demand. And a lot of the times that's just purely speculative demand. So I've been tracking them. I've been keeping up with them these past couple of days more than usual you know, in preparation for this show. And it's, it, I mean, shoot, those things can fluctuate, you know, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, you know, in a day that just purely based off of speculative demand. Number two is that there's operational risk. And, and as you'll learn, as we talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum today, you know, with a lot of these cryptocurrencies, you cannot reverse a transaction that happens. And so there's no going back. You need to understand the operational risk with that. You know, there's access to money in these accounts that if you don't have the keys or the password to the accounts with cryptocurrencies, it could be lost forever. That's a big risk you got to consider before you, uh, you know, consider looking at investing in any one of these things. As of right now, they're usually not connected to any like tangible physical asset of value. Number four is that the digital storage location of these assets may not be regulated. Number five is that they're uh, believed to be, you know, vulnerable to price manipulation. Number six is they're also at risk of criminal activity. I mean, everything's at risk of criminal activity. uh, But this one in particular, because it's not regulated by the government, that's a big risk that you need to be aware of. And the number seven is that it's subject to regulatory risk, meaning that that there is going to likely be future changes when it comes to it. And uh, this is usually where Ron would make some sort of hilarious comment. But you just got me today, so we're going to keep rolling right along here on the uh, Journey Mindset podcast. So those are all risks that need to be kept in mind before we dive deeper into this educational show about cryptocurrencies. So the last thing I'll say before I'll, I'll hop into the two main types of crypto, 
are that we are not making any investment recommendations. It's meant to be purely educational. So let's roll through the two most common types of cryptocurrencies out there. And the first one that we're going to talk about today is Bitcoin. And there's a great YouTube video done by uh, you know an account just called 99Bitcoins that describes just how we valued currency up and until this point. And it's a pretty good watch. It's where we got a lot of the good information for this show, along with a bunch of other resources as well. But it essentially said, look, if you got $1,000 worth of gold back in the day, you could take that to a bank and you could exchange that for $1,000 in print money. It was just more logical. It was easier. You don't have to carry around a bunch of gold bars. Uh, but that's initially how you know currency could be more easily transported. But then the government started to issue what's called fiat money. And this is something that I've really enjoyed learning more about. And this is where the government will issue money with no real asset backing it up, other, other than the government saying that it has value. So the quote is that the values, value of today's money uh, you know, it comes from a legal status, status given by a central government or a central authority. So in this case, it's a model that's based off of trust. We're choosing to trust the government. We're going to give them you know, what we have as value, and we're going to trust that they're going to give us money in replace of it. And it's translated from trusting something, a gold bar, to trusting someone, the government. So the challenge with fiat money is that it's controlled and it's centralized. And this is where you can get into people that are you know, anti-big government. They don't want somebody in control of everything that they do. But that's a system that you know, we've gone off of for a, really, for a really long time. And the second challenge with that is that there's not, it's not limited by quantity. And we'll actually get into that a little bit later today. So the government or the central bank, as of right now, they can print as much money when, as they want whenever it's needed. <clears throat> and this inflates the money supply in the market. So the problem with printing money is that the value of each dollar, when you do that, the value of each dollar drops. So your own money is going to be worth less. And we saw a lot of that with coronavirus. Uh, you know, as of recent, they were trying to get stimulus checks out there and they were continuing to put more money into our system, which helps us short term. We're able to get some more cash in our hands. But then the money that's in supply right there, it's going to go down. And uh, the huge challenge has been inflation. But that's not what we're talking about today. So just know that when money is printed, the value of your dollar is dropping. So let's step into a conversation talking about digital money. So as of right now, we use credit cards, we use wire transfers, PayPal, Venmo, and, and other forms of digital currency. So the biggest question when you transition your money to digital is how do you stop somebody from just copying, from just copying their money if you're going to make everything digital? And the, the solution to this has been you have to have a centralized ledger that keeps track of everything. And whoever is in charge of that has a massive amount of power. So some major issues that come along with having a centralized power, what's led up to this point of considering Bitcoin and considering cryptocurrencies has been number one, corruption. You know, the number one topic anytime there's a huge political race is this side's corrupt. No, this side's corrupt. Number two could be mismanagement, just that people are incompetent. You know, if they're in a specific role, they're not doing what you want them to do. They're mismanaging the assets. You think that it should be done in a way better manner. And number three is control. Uh, when you go to the bank, you're essentially giving all of your control, you know, over to that government or that bank. And one of the cooler things that I've listened to recently was actually a podcast with Mark Cuban, the Shark Tank investor and the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. 
uh, where he spoke freely just about the advantages and disadvantages of, you know, where he is at currently with his financial situation, which I think I looked at his estimated net worth. It's in the billions, I think close to four or five billion, which who knows how close or accurate that is. And he was saying with our current financial system, if he wants to get a loan, he still needs to go to a bank. You know, despite his great wealth, he still needs to get approval from a central authority to be able to do that. And he needs permission, which in essence is a form of control. And he said it many times over in that podcast is that cryptocurrencies allow you to be your own personal banker. So that's kind of the first framework that I want us to think through as you think about cryptocurrencies. And I won't get into too much more of that right now, but that's one of the appeals, especially uh, according to Mark Cuban, is that cryptocurrencies allow you to be your own personal banker. So let's get back to control over our normal money supply, back to that conversation. So at any point in time, the government can deny access to your account and freeze your funds with our traditional finance system. And that actually did happen in India in 2009. So expanding on just that topic and that thought process of, oh man, what would ever happen if the government did something like that? You know, and going off of fiat money, it's definitely worth discussing. So, you know, I'm not sure many people, myself included, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, realize just how important of a role that fiat money has played in our economy. And when you really start to dive deeper into cryptocurrencies, you know, it's something that if if the government has total control over the money supply, you know, and it's not necessarily 100% backed up by physical assets, it's not a crazy idea to think that there might be a better way to go about doing this. And that kind of gave birth to this idea with Bitcoin. And there's a great Twitter thread uh, done by a guy named Sahil Bloom that I've gotten to speak to a couple of different times, where he just explained how when the government has total control over the money supply, and they can you know, raise it at any given point in time, there's going to always be buyers and sellers out there in the market, but they're going to have the advantage. And it's a very challenging problem to solve. And so all that has led us to people seeking out a decentralized way to hold and to store currency. So there was a man who came up with an idea to solve, you know, we were talking about digital assets. If you have digital assets, how do you stop somebody from just copying their digital assets and making more and more? And it could be a big problem going forward. And that's called the double spend problem. So how do you solve the double spend problem without the need for a central authority? And at its core, the answer was Bitcoin, you know, and what they came up with was a transparent ledger, you know, that does not need a central authority. So when you think about Bitcoin, think about a transparent ledger. And the unique thing is that it's open and transparent, but you can't necessarily see who's sending what to whom. But you can see that the transaction happened, but it's an anonymous platform. And a funny story came out in 2010, actually, when uh, Bitcoin wasn't as popular, where a guy said, hey, I'll trade 10,000 Bitcoins for two pizzas. And uh, unfortunately for that guy, the value of those 10,000 Bitcoins at the time that I was doing this research is actually close to $100 million. Just goes to show how when things are speculative, you just never know what direction they're going to head in. Tough break for that guy right there. So the other good thing to know about Bitcoin is that it's decentralized and that there's no one computer that holds the ledger that we're talking about. So again, we're trying to answer the question of the double spin problem. What do we do? How do we not have one central authority? Okay, well, let's have a ledger that everybody has access to, but it's an anonymous platform, but we can also track to see that they're happening, 
but there's still that, uh, I'm not going to say this word, uh, you're basically anonymous, being able to, to be on this platform. And when you think of a copy of that ledger, that's what's known as the blockchain. And blockchain is really what's getting people excited. And just a reminder, once again, you're listening to the Journey Mindset Podcast, and my name is Sean Ulrich, and I am a financial advisor at Cornerstone Financial Consultants in Washington, Missouri. And uh, you can reach out to us at 636-239-5000 if you have any more questions about stuff like this, or you can visit thejourneymindset.com or reach out to our company page, Cornerstone, the number two, invest.com. So in order to hack the system, you'd have to take down thousands of computers that are participating in a system that is constantly changing. And the thing to know about Bitcoin is that it is entirely digital. There's nothing that you can physically touch when it comes to Bitcoin. So there are no coins, there are only rows of transactions and balances. So when you own Bitcoin, it means that you own the right to access a specific Bitcoin address record in the ledger that you can send funds to and from a specific address. So again, when you own Bitcoin, it means that you own the right to access a specific Bitcoin address in that ledger, in that blockchain ledger that you can send funds to and from a specific address. That's usually called a wallet. You know, if you have a Bitcoin wallet, that's where you're holding your digital assets. And Bitcoin was born as an alternative to fiat money. We just talked about that earlier. And the big difference between Bitcoin and fiat money is that there's a finite amount of Bitcoin out there. Because again, with fiat money, the big question is, well, the government can just continue to print more. So according to Investopedia.com, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins ever produced. And on average, these Bitcoins introduced the, into the Bitcoin supply at a fixed rate of about one block every 10 minutes. And this shows us a huge difference between fiat money, where the government can keep printing, and Bitcoin, again, is that there's a finite amount of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was created with the idea that the, you know, it's a currency that no government or bank can control as of right now, at this time. And another way to think about this is that back in the day, the only way to get information, big information about what was happening in the world was through the newspaper. Just like back in the day, the only way to get money, you know, was from the government. And with the advent of TV and internet, now information is out there more readily. You don't have to just rely on that newspaper for information. So with the advent of cryptocurrencies, people are attempting to create their own way to value currency at this time. So it's a Got a lot of people excited, obviously. And the website 99Bitcoins refers to Bitcoin as, quote, the internet of money. And it offers a decentralized solution to that. So some descriptions of Bitcoin are that it gives you control over your money. And with Bitcoin, you and you alone have access to your funds. And as of right now, no government or no bank can freeze your account or confiscate your holdings. Bitcoin cuts out the middleman from the process of transferring money, which can be something that people like. This means that Bitcoin can be tr cheaper than traditional wire transfers or money orders. And uh, also, unlike fiat currencies, Bitcoin was designed to be digital by nature. That was what you know people thought of before they created it. And this means you can add additional layers of, program of programming on top of it and turn it into smart money. And we're about to start talking about Ethereum. So Bitcoin opens up digital commerce to two and a half billion people around the world that don't have access to the current banking system, which is getting a lot of people excited. These people are unbanked and underbanked because of where they live. And there's plenty of companies out there that accept Bitcoin as payment right now, 
and you can even order a flight. You can book a hotel with this type of currency if you'd like. So that is our initial overview of Bitcoin. And man, we missed out on Ron's hot takes. It would have been exciting to hear what he had to say about all that. But let's talk about the second type of cryptocurrency that's really getting people excited. And that's Ethereum. And that's something that, you know, if you're somebody that likes to track uh, financial minds on Twitter, there's a lot of talk about Ethereum going on right now. So Bitcoin was the basis for which Ethereum was born. And remember that Bitcoin is a form of decentralized money. That's why people are so excited about it. And it's the only digital currency before Bitcoin, you know, was government issued and controlled. The only digital currency before Bitcoin was government issued and controlled. And the system is impossible to manipulate, shut down, or control. So the question with Ethereum was, what other areas of society can be decentralized, just like Bitcoin was? And the question <clears throat> that they continued to consider was, what if we could use the blockchain to decentralize other things? And blockchain technology is the byproduct of the Bitcoin invention. So Ethereum came from Bitcoin. So when you think about blockchain technology, you can think about cryptography, proof of work, proof of a transaction, and then decentralized networks. All of that can equal blockchain technology. And once Bitcoin became popular, people started to notice, you know, how and why that it works. So Bitcoin is to block or blockchain is to Bitcoin <clears throat> what the Internet is to email. So in other words, Bitcoin is something that can be done on the blockchain, just like email is something that can be done on the Internet. And you can think of blockchain again, blockchains like the Internet, and you can think of Bitcoin like email. It happens on top of something else. And blockchain is a system on top of which you can build other applications and programs. So people begin to ask the question, what else can we decentralize? And in order for a system to be truly decentralized, it needs a large networks, network of computers to run it. And Ethereum is based off of a different programming system than Bitcoin, which means a different network of computers. And Ethereum is the do-it-yourself platform for decentralized programs or dApps or otherwise known as decentralized applications. And there's a specific programming language that someone has to learn in order to build something on Ethereum to then begin coding. I believe it's called Solidity. And Ethereum's goal is to truly decentralize the internet. That's what's getting so many people hyped you know, about this idea right now. So as of right now, when you think about the internet, it's, it's pretty centralized. And there's been an ongoing conversation where people are trying to you know, stop bigger companies from really being able to have those top search results or really be able to put in front of you, you know, what you may not necessarily want to see. It's just kind of bigger companies pushing it. People are trying to decentralize the internet. And some of the companies that are really pushing that are companies like Dropbox and eBay and Facebook and Amazon and Netflix and Google because of how much control they have over what we see, which is it's disappointing in a time where you would you would hope that you could just get the truth and you could get, you know, what is most useful in that moment. And that's just not how our current system works. And those companies that I mentioned, they have a ton of control over what's happening on the Internet right now. And there's also nothing that or there's almost nothing that happens on the Internet without some sort of intermediary or third party. And what's cool about Ethereum is that it connects people directly through a powerful decentralized supercomputer. So it attempts to solve that problem or that question of how do we stop this? You know, how do we stop these big companies from pushing information that we don't necessarily want to see? So let's hop into how Ethereum works. And, and as I mentioned before, Ethereum's coding language is Solidity. 
and it's used to write smart contracts that are logic and those run those uh, those dApps, those decentralized applications that are on top of the blockchain. Hope you're sticking with me here with uh, the Journey Mindset podcast. And an Ethereum contract is a set of ifs and then then. So if this happens, then this will happen. And a good example that was given on a YouTube video was that if you were to set up your rent payment based off of a smart contract, that would be done, you know, as if if I paid my landlord $1,500 at the first part of the month, then I'm going to get access to my apartment, which is exactly how a smart contract would work on Ethereum. And Ethereum, Ethereum developers write the conditions of the program or the DAP, and the Ethereum network executes it. And these are called smart contracts because they deal with all aspects of the contract and they do not require a third party. And everybody loves, they they love the idea of not having a third party to kind of mess with what's going on. And you can think about smart contracts as a tiny computer program that is stored inside of the blockchain. So back to our landlord example, if I have a smart contract for somebody paying rent, that landlord doesn't need to actively communicate or to actively collect that money. The contract itself just needs to know that the money has been sent. So if I send the money, then I'm going to be able to open my apartment door. And if I missed my payment, then I would be locked out. And smart contracts definitely have their downsides. So as we just mentioned, they're self-executing, which means that they cannot make special exemptions if the situation calls for it, which as we all know, life is nothing but special circumstances and, and ways to try to, you know, go around something that is just set in stone and in place. So in other words, it's an, an intelligent contract. And, and it, if, if in an ideal world, it would be able to take into account all those other factors. But as of right now, it cannot. It's uncompromisingly letter strict. And once a smart contract is deployed on the Ethereum network, it cannot be edited or corrected even by its original author. And the word that you'll hear about smart contracts is immutable. The only way to change that contract is to convince the entire Ethereum network that a change should be made. So it's super hard. It's super difficult to do. And and continuing on with the thought about just what are the descriptions of uh, Ethereum and smart contracts is that complex contracts are very difficult to secure. And Ethereum was built with the ability to create really complex contracts. But again, you can't go back on them. Once they're written, they're set in stone. And these contracts are also distributed, meaning that they're validated by everybody on the network so that one person cannot affect the outcome of that specific contract. And Ethereum launched with the idea that code is law and that once the contract is on there, the contract is the ultimate authority. Nobody can overrule that contract. So if you think about, okay, I'm beginning to understand what Ethereum is and how it works with smart contracts. It's if, then, and once you set it in place, you know, it is what it is. So then if you're going to ask yourself, well, then how does that trade? How does it make sense if you look on, you know, websites like Yahoo Finance? You know, how, how can you have a value to that right now? So when you think about Ethereum as a currency, it's actually known as Ether. And there's a large bunch of computers working together as one big supercomputer to execute the code that powers these dApps. And however, that costs money. So in order to, you know, get this rolling, money to get the machines to power them up and to cool them off are all things that, that need to happen in order for the Ethereum, you know, process to continue. And that's why Ether was invented. So when people talk about the price of Ethereum, they're actually referring to the price of Ether. 
And that is the currency that incentivizes people to run the Ethereum protocol on their computer. And this is very similar to the way that Bitcoin miners get paid for maintaining the Bitcoin on blockchain. And in order to deploy a smart contract that if then that we talked about before, the author must pay to do so. And that payment is made in the form of Ether. And this is done so that people will write optimized and efficient code and won't waste the Ethereum network computing power on unnecessary tasks. So remember this about Ethereum, that it's a, a network of independent com computers running decentralized apps, and it was specifically designed to create and support smart contracts on the blockchain. So in conclusion of our show today, we talked about the main two cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and why people are so interested in them. And Bitcoin was the first decentralized attempt at a digital currency that was built on top of the blockchain. And Ethereum is a platform that is attempting to decentralize many different areas of our society using that blockchain technology, and more specifically, using smart contracts. And both of these currencies have many risks, as we listed above, you know, as, as today's show was meant to be purely educational. So I'll leave you with this parting thought because people are curious, you know, how does the United States stack up to other countries, you know, compared to how we're doing when we're competing, uh, you know, at this cryptocurrency, if you want to call it a race, if you will. So according to Steve Leisman, who is a CNBC senior economics reporter, he said, and this is his quote, I understand the Bank of England is doing something similar to a similar study to this, speaking about a study on cryptocurrencies. He says, I think that the United States, we are behind China. And one of the things that Powell, speaking about Jerome Powell, our Fed leader, makes a point is that we're going to make sure that we, we are going to make sure that we keep pace internationally, irrespective of the conclusion we ultimately reach. We expect the Fed to play a leading role in developing international standards for centralized banks and digital currencies, engaging actively with other central banks, as well as regulators and supervisors. So Powell's comments say that they don't want to be left behind. And my take is that we are somewhat behind other countries out there. And that's the end of the quote from Leesman. So to wrap up my final thoughts on the show for today, talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum, is that they're super intriguing. You know, I'm to the point where we're fielding enough calls on it. It just pays to have a healthy awareness with it. And you need to be aware of just the risks that, that are out there when you choose to invest in cryptocurrencies. And uh, it's just something that I've enjoyed continuing to learn about. We're actually starting to go into businesses to speak about this here in the near future to, to provide some more educational content on it if people would like to hear about it. And uh, it's just something that we'd love to continue to have a conversation with people about. So the reason for the podcast and the real heart behind all of our messages lies in the gospel. And we believe that God sent his only son Jesus to this world with a message of good news. And the good news is that we as humans do not need to earn our way into heaven. Instead, we need to repent of the current way that we live, living for ourselves and our own personal glory, and instead choose to invite Jesus into our lives to follow his word, what we believe to be truth. And Ron, I think you're going to finish it up for us today. I will, Sean. You know, we wholeheartedly believe that we are all created to do good works. And and that's rooted in truth as uh, is it uh, is written to us in the Bible driven by love uh, with the newfound freedom as a response to the good news of, of our salvation. 
So if you're somebody that likes to do that, as always, guys, be sure to connect with us at thejourneymindset.com or visit our company page, cornerstone2invest.com and reach out to us at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri at 636-239-5000 if you would like to connect and learn more about what it would look like to invest with us here at Cornerstone Financial. And our goal is to always get to know your particular situation and to see how we can help. So big thank you for tuning in today. We love being on 99.9 KFAV.